try to kill us, but my village too strong. Long live the people. Here we go again with the bullshit you want. Long live the people. We have all these mixed blood people all across the country. We cannot exclude them. There's nothing wrong with being Red River Metis. We are all Metis. There was an attempt to define Metis. And we said no. There's Métis from Red River. What's wrong with Métis from someplace else? And they were also Métis people. Uniting our people is at a very sad state. We are all Métis. Welcome to The Jig Is Up. Joining me as always is The Professor. Hey Jason, how's it going? Staying toasty by the fire. How's Darcy tonight? Oh, I'm lovely. Absolutely lovely. Um, so we want to jump right into things, and I, I want to acknowledge that it is Métis Week this week, so congratulations Woo-hoo. to all the Métis out there. Take a bow. You're still all here. <laughs> That's right, and no matter what they say, we, we still recognize you as all Métis. Um, right. So we can all celebrate and be proud of who we are. And Amen to that. Absolutely. I don't know, did you go to, is there much for events going on up in your neck of the woods at all? You're kind of in more... Not not totally in Whitecourt, no. That's some of the definite uh, uphill battles we have uh, here where I live is uh, getting that kind of recognition. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Here in Calgary, there's there's a little bit going on. Not Probably not as much as I would like or mu- as much as what people might expect for a city that has... 1.3 million people and a whopping 23,000 Métis living in it. Um, but we did have some flag-raising ceremonies that I went to, and those nice. were very interesting. Yeah, they were good. There was one in yeah. oh. the first one we had ever at the Calgary Police Service headquarters. So that was pretty cool. Mm. And um, That's cool. It is, and actually, what's neat about that is the uh, the we have a diversity team on our our Calgary Police Service, and the, we have an Indigenous person on that diversity team, and the the guy who just took that position over is actually uh, Acadian Métis, and he organized oh. it all. So, look at that. That's good. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, which is is kind of funny because then all the speeches were made by uh, our. Regional Vice President for the Métis Nation of Alberta, and he was very clear in his mentioning the Métis Nation several several times and how they're you know Métis only came to be back in the you know just a hundred and fifty two hundred years ago. So it was very interesting speeches. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I wonder what the organize you know the guy from Acadia feels about that. Uh, go to organize that whole event and it turns into. Uh, you know, kind of a political identity talk, not a we're proud to be Métis talk. Well, and I think uh, from what I, I have not really uh, spent any time talking to the fellow at all, um, but from what I've under come to understand, he's very well aware of the whole Métis identity issue and, and things like that. So I, I'm sure he probably knew exactly what was going to be said and what was going to happen when, when he was organizing it, but... You know what? It was great to have. Um, I actually liked the one at the Calgary Police Service a lot better than the one at City Hall, which was kind of funny. Because we had a second oh, really? one at City Hall later on in the day. Two in the same day. That's good. So what, what was the deal with the City Hall one? Well, the City Hall was, I mean, it was basically the same thing. Everybody went from the CPS building, I'm sorry, Calgary P- uh, Police Service building down to the City Hall. 
Um, and the same speeches were made by the same people, and the flag went up. Uh, but, you know, all the councillors and the mayor were all in, in council, so they missed the whole thing. They came out at the, end of a, at the end of the actual raising. And so we went in, and then the mayor did a speech, and, and a few other people did speeches, and they had some... Well, I guess the, the city hall had some little tiny dancers. I think they were all under seven, probably. So that was really cute. Oh, nice. Yeah. They were doing, uh, like, jigging or what? Yeah, they were doing some jigging and... Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it was really cute. It was nice. Um, but <clears throat> one thing I did notice in, in all of it uh, was the lack of land acknowledgement. And the only time out of both places that I heard any land acknowledgement was uh, the mayor uh, when he did his speech. But I think his speech is more of like a pre-written, pre-canned speech, so he always makes sure to acknowledge the Blackfoot people because he has to deal directly with Blackfoot people. And so he wants to cross that political T every time. Um, so I, but I was really disappointed to hear, or to, I guess to not hear a land acknowledgement, acknowledging that we are on the traditional people or traditional lands of, of the Blackfoot Confederacy, or even a mention of Treaty 7 or anything like that. So, which <clears throat> I know we've talked about this in the past, Jason, um, but <laughs> perhaps many times. But it's that I think that's a really good indication of exactly the kind of relationship that these Métis Nation cartel organizations have with the First Nations and their attitude towards them. What do you think about that? Yeah, for me personally, it's always disappointing that um, there's this. It does seem to be that there is an attitude out there that Métis people have some preeminent right uh, that is exclusive to our people. Um, that I don't know negates uh, First Nations reality to the fact that they were there before us, and so I find that a little bit disappointing because it's a very colonial perspective to take. I think, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I think it's a very colonial perspective. I think it's it's one of uh, we're gonna. Tr- it's it's to me. It's like a lot of greed. We're gonna get what's what we want, and I don't care about your you. Which is not a good attitude to have to the... Essentially, half the, the people that are half of the reason why we as Métis people exist, really. As a culture, as a people. I don't know. Well, and especially if you look at a lot of, uh, you know, Louis Riel's writings and a lot of what Harry Daniel says, you know, our um, Indigenous identity flows from our First Nations ancestors and thus our identity to the land flows from there. So why we wouldn't um, take the time to acknowledge that it is something as simple as during Métis Week that uh, acknowledging me, Métis people have always coexisted within the traditional territories of our First Nations relations seems like kind of a no-brainer to me. You know, I would think so, and especially nowadays when there is such an emphasis on reconciliation. And I, I think... You know, as, as Indigenous people, we have to recognize that the effects of colonization have 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 had their mark, and they've got their foothold in a lot of areas of our culture, of First Nation culture, and, you know, because it is a very effective way, a f- way of doing things, and I think the, the, the least we can do is kind of start that reconciliation process amongst ourselves, uh, between the... You know, the three recognized groups plus all the non-status and the unrecognized Métis in the East. 
is to start that reconciliation process between all of us as a family, almost. Yeah, that that's been. I mean, we've talked about that quite a bit, but that I think that needs to be reiterated during Métis Week is that Métis people are are co-partners. We're you know co. We shared the land since you know before you know settlers came out this way. And I think that's important to recognize. And I think that uh, trying to minimize the fact that we exist within First Nations territory is, you know, only goes to further divide, not, like you said, uh, work to bring reconciliation. And if we can't reconcile uh, ourselves together as kin, how are we ever going to do that with the government? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's interesting because all of this come, kind of comes about uh, at the same time as... A little bit of a feud going on between uh, David Chartrand, who's the president of the MMF, and Kevin Hart, who's a member, I believe he's a member of the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs. And I guess they were on a plane together and some words were exchanged about pipelines. And setting aside the the pipeline kind of debate, uh, it was very clear that there was not a lot of respect flowing from the the Métis side of things coming towards the First Nation. And I'm sure there's a lot of pent-up hostility going the other way as well. I'm not going to deny that. Um, Because things are tense and because basically for years we've been having to fight tooth and nail to get anything um, for our own people, let alone work together. So... So there's probably some animosity there anyway, but they, they certainly had some words on the on the flight. I don't know if you had a chance to really get into that much, Jason, but... Uh... Not, not tons. I mean, there was definitely a very public spillover, and I think that only goes to further prove the divide that you and I talk about but that exists between Métis people and, and our First Nations relations. Um, we've seen this spillover in other uh, areas in um, Ontario with uh, Regional Chief Isidore Day talking about um, Métis um, you know, resource extraction deals in First Nations territory when those First Nations uh, opposed them. You know, so that this is an ongoing divide that now seems to be not only getting very public, but, you know, you see a lot of that real tension coming to the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the, one of the things, there's a few quotes I have here, and we actually have a clip of, of David Chartrand talking. Now, the clip is about the census, but I think there's a lot of points in there that uh, we can kind of bring out in this whole conversation. Um one of the things he said in to Kevin Hart, or I guess in a Twitter war or somehow, was that he represents the largest nation in Canada. There are 400,000 of us, and we support pipelines as an economic strategy on a sustainable basis. So that he's claiming leadership over all Métis Nation people. Um, well, and he's claiming that... The Métis people are the largest nation in the Canada, which, you know, perhaps they are, I guess, numbers-wise. It kind of strikes me as a little bit of an arrogant thing to say. Plus, on top of that, he's not actually the leader of the Métis people. Um, If you want to look at their hierarchy, wouldn't that lay its hands on the great old MNC, the Métis, the big Métis National Council? I don't know. Well, that's what I would think. I mean, it's very interesting... You know, we've we've talked a little bit about the dichotomy that the organization has itself. Um, if if you wanted, to, you know, if there was a such thing as a Red River Métis isolate, that that was, you know, it in a bit was from there. 
then short-term would be right is that all Métis people residing in Saskatchewan, Alberta, you know, or the descendants living in northern um, BC and Ontario would really, their homeland is is that uh, initial province of Manitoba, that uh, real side. And if that was the point of view you wanted to take, then Chartrand's right in that he is indeed the leader of all Métis people. But at the same time, I'm not sure how that's going to fly with the MNC since they are the National Council. You know, so it seems like a pretty big overstep with his uh, his own uh, family relations there. Well, it does, and then the fact that you know he's he's the president of the MMF, which actually is one of the smaller. Um, if you just go by membership numbers, I believe they're smaller than Alberta. So he he doesn't really represent 400,000 Métis. It's uh, a bit bit of a misnomer. Uh, but I want to play a clip from him. Uh, it was about the census, but I think there's a lot of things in this clip after listening to it a few times that I think can kind of tie into this and and just, you know, that we can maybe uh, break down this clip a little bit. So I'm just going to play this here. This can cost this country billions of dollars if they don't look at this thing very carefully and start uh, looking at how they're going to adjudicate and handle this matter. It's easy for us because we know we are, we can identify who we are, and we can protect who we are, and we can clearly defend who we are without question. Those others are claiming themselves Métis because of the French translation Métis being, oh, mixed blood. Well, you're maybe of mixed blood of some indigenous people, but you're not the Métis nation. You're not the Métis nation of the West. So let's okay let's start with the first part of that which was that the census this was now related to the census but he's talking about how this is going to cost the government billions and what's interesting for me about that is that he he's not talking about the effects of this has on his people he's not talking about the effects this has on his organization he's talking about the effect this has on the Canadian government and I don't know like to me that strikes me as a little odd for a person who's supposed to represent an oppressed group of people. <laughs> well, and I think that really speaks to a lot of what we talk about when we talk about the cartel and their relationship with the government is the what we're seeing here, again, uh, you know, they kind of allude to this, is that they believe that the federal government is a fixed pie, that the amount of money that they have for Métis is, is small, and that number is fixed and it can't be enlarged and thus any kind of action on Métis people's parts to, in, you know, uh, cause problems for Canada to generate revenue will directly impact Métis people and our perceived prosperity or payout from the federal government. And I think that's very, very dangerous uh, point of view to take. Um, I think this is very fraudulent. Um at, at what point do we Indigenous people say that, you know, money is not our priority, land and water is, is our priority, protecting uh, those resources for our four-legged and, and flying friends is, is our priority, not not billions of dollars for the GDP of Canada. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, then we, we move on from there, and he's talking about how, you know, we know who we are, uh, we can defend who we are, but yet they clearly don't know who they are because they've they're fighting about whether or not communities the MNO recognizes as Métis communities are Métis communities. The MNO is doing a leader a membership review where they're going to 
it's estimated up to 9,000 people could lose their MNO membership. So they clearly don't know who they are. And so again, you know, you you have this guy who's talking about how the things are going to affect the government, not talking about his people. Uh, and then he's there. He's talking about we know who we are, but they they don't know who they are because they're doing membership reviews all over in order to please the government as to who the government thinks who they should be. Um, so I, I just found the whole statement riddled with inaccuracies. And then you know he finishes it up with. Uh, we, you know, uh, these other people out there are not the Métis Nation of the West. And that is probably the only part of his statement that I think is probably correct because I don't think anybody from the East is claiming to be Métis from the West. They're claiming to be Métis from the East. <laughs> so I think his, I think that was actually the only true statement in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they're, they're, they're correct in that statement, uh, hands down. But I think they feel, and, and I don't know, I, you know, I don't like to project about how I think they feel, but what we see from this conversation is that there's a real insecurity that their definition that they're very comfortable in assigning to themselves is being threatened, and they feel very threatened by that. And I see, you know, you brought up the uh, relationship with the Métis Nation of Ontario. I think that's going to further cause this divide because the Métis Nation of Ontario is really in a hard spot. Uh, the MNO wants to rec- be recognized as the organization that is the go-to for rights-bearing Métis. So that pretty much forces the MNO to recognize uh, people that fall outside the definition that uh, Chartrand and the MNC are comfortable claiming as a Western identity. But that puts the MNO in a very hard place. So then there'll be rights-bearing Métis, uh, that the federal government will recognize that won't be covered under the MNO. Yeah. You know, I don't know if, if the MNO can deal with that. Well, yeah. And I think we've mentioned this before too, where, you know, the, the whole organization kind of crumbles if they accept these communities who they're, that they're arguing about right now um, that are actually, I think from what I understand, two of them are in Quebec or just on the border of Quebec and they're, they're fighting about that. So, you know, clearly they don't know who they are, um, and they're still fighting with their own identity issues, which is why I guess they project that onto everybody else. Um, one of the other statements well, he made... Oh, go ahead, Jason. Well, I was just going to say, and it really shows that this is an organization that is paid to represent a certain part of the people, Métis people in Canada. And that really underpins a lot of this perspective, I think, that we're, we're hearing them talk about. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think that was, for me, that was the biggest highlight out of that was that it, it's very clear that he's defending this census thing because it's for what's best for the people that signed the check, not perhaps what's best for Métis people. And it goes with my argument of, you know, how have, how have a lot of these people ever really fought for Métis people? And I, I personally just don't believe they have. I think they've they've jumped on a lot of bandwagons, but in technically, I don't really believe that they've stuck their neck out on the and took a risk and actually fought for anybody, and fought for rights and taken the government to court because they know where their checks are coming from. Unfortunately, well, and it's it's very funny actually, and I don't really know. You know, it'd be really fun to be a fly on the wall in a lot of these uh, negotiations they have because 
on one hand, they're paying to represent Métis people and the amount of money that they're paid is based on the amount of people that they represent. But over the course of, of the last couple of years, and especially right now in, in Ontario, we're seeing that they are trying to reduce their overall membership role. Would it, is their paycheck going to follow then because they represent so many less Métis people? I don't know. Well, that's just it. Like, it really doesn't make any sense from that standpoint unless there's some sort of underlying agreement where whatever lack of funding you get because you now represent less people will be made up in other ways. I'm just guessing, but that's how I feel about it. Um, and then I guess closing all this up about all that, or not necessarily closing it, but bringing this back to the Kevin Hart thing, um, one of the statements he made to Kevin Hart was, you don't own the land. And like from a from a purely indigenous standpoint, ownership of land is a very foreign concept. Um, you know that is that is why reservations are not on a fee simple system, most of them, uh, because they don't consider the ant land to be ownable. It is the land. Um, so I thought that was interesting coming from an indigenous person who claims to be the leader of 400,000 Indigenous people, the largest nation in Ca- Indigenous nation in Canada. And he's like, well, you don't own the land. So he's he's fully entrenched in that colonial aspect or ideology that the land is to be owned as, you know. That, yeah, abso- absolutely. That's very much, um, once you delve into their position, that's how come when you're looking at, uh, especially in Manitoba, uh, the Manitoba Act, they believe that is the Métis Treaty that supersedes uh, all other treaties and jurisdictions in there. And it even goes further than that, that if you really push them on this issue, they will tell you that the reason the land is theirs and doesn't belong to the traditional First Nation is because they exerted uh, military control over it or force of arms, if you will. And I find that highly problematic to say that so if Métis people, through strength and you know, force, were able to dominate a terrain anywhere on Turtle Island, and that made it theirs, well, wouldn't that same thing then apply when the Canadian government came and you lost and they took control of the land? Is... Would it not revert to the Canadian government control land then? If you're following that logic, absolutely, yeah. Now, I, I really know I know that this it's kind of a dangerous thing to insert logic into the the Métis National Council <laughs> and their agenda, but it it seems kind of weird to me that that's the rationale that it sure seems they're trying to foist in their their discussions with um, First Nations is to say that uh, the Manitoba Métis owned the land because they fought for the land and then it makes it theirs. So then that means no First Nations fought for their land? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's not true. You look, you look at the whole Pontiac War, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I, I think you hit it there when you said that you're trying to insert logic into this and it, it just doesn't apply. No, and I think that's what people need to be very aware of is this is a good game of politics. This is a good game of uh you know putting up a, a lens on a situation so they can sell it and i think the reality is it's just not true 
And I think to pretend that is true only further divides uh, indigenous people amongst ourselves. You know, we have, uh, you know, if you're Métis, you probably go back to uh, a First Nations um, specific, and those are your kin. So why are we trying to create a divide between Métis people and First Nations people that simply doesn't exist? Exactly. I mean, the, the only place it exists is within the halls of the government um, who have created a, a divide. You know, one has status, one doesn't. One has a Métis card, one, and some don't, and... But these are all, like, these are all kind of fictional divides between people. But when you actually sit down in a room with people or on a plane, there's no divide between the people. I mean, we are indigenous people. That is who we are, and, and we have to, we, uh, you know, the cartel has to come to understand that they, to, to claim indigenous rights, you have to, you know, you have to live to indigenous, some sort of indigeneity. Um you, you can't walk a colonial world and then claim indigenous rights over everything. Uh, and you certainly can't claim indigenous rights over top of the First Nations people who, who you are getting your rights. I mean, if we're talking indigenous rights to the land, we get that through our connection to our indigenous and First Nation family. And then so to sit here and, and pretend like our rights supersede those is, is to me a very, very horrible way of, of doing things. And it's a horrible way of of treating people. Well, I think that's the real conversation that needs to be had, though, is that First Nation people claim uh, rights to the land because they're indigenous to it. But if you really look at the cartel, that's not really the claim they make. The, the claim they're making is that, uh, in essence, they're indigenous because they pre-exist the colonial government. And thus, that gives them right from the government because they, they pre-exist the settlers. So the Métis people have rights to the land because they pre-exist the settlers, but then they come after the First Nations. So now it becomes the government's you know, purview to pay whoever they want to pay for whatever they want to do to keep us divided on that simple fact. So it really is the question of if Métis people are indigenous and we want to claim indigenous identity, does it flow from the same place as First Nations? Or does it flow from the British North American Act and the King's Edict where we predate the settlers and thus we have right to the land? That, and I think that's the real question that Métis people have to ask themselves. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think it's uh, – there's a lot of big questions here, and, and I think if you – yeah, I think if a lot of people sat down and reasonably thought about – the arguments they put forth, uh, the things they say, the way they represent people, I think I think it'd be, you know, it becomes very clear the pattern and of behavior, uh, which you know, like we've talked about it endlessly on this podcast, it is very clear who who they are representing. They're representing a corporation and the government of Canada. Um, exactly, and I, I I'll, I'll be honest, I was aghast. I can't imagine uh, a leader standing up for the Métis people saying in one breath they represent, you know, a great bulk of, of us, us a Métis people, and then basically staring a First Nations leader in the face and saying, you don't own the land. Well, as an Indigenous person, you're like you said before, that concept should be foreign to us. And the things we're fighting for as Métis people aren't ownership of the land. Exactly. You know, I, I don't I don't get that at all. 
and then to be able to sit there and spout that from one leader to another. Well, exactly, and and then to go on to the media and defend what you say and can, and and then you know go further with it and even make more comments. It like it's absolutely ridiculous, and uh, I mean, I I can see why there's a lot of frustration uh, from First Nations people, from Métis people. I mean, the fact that he claims that 400,000 400, Métis people support their their pipeline strategy, well, how accurate is that? Do 400,000 Métis people in Canada really support uh, the pipelines? Um, you know, there's there's a pretty famous one who uh, disenrolled from the MNO, uh, who, which her father was kind of instrumental in, in creating, and she certainly doesn't support the pipelines. So how do you claim to speak for her? Or is she just not Métis anymore because she doesn't have a plastic card? I don't know. Well, I, uh, yeah, and I, again, the whole the whole thing is so highly problematic uh, for Métis people. This is someone who is a long-standing leader. He's held that, that chair in the MMF for quite a long time. And then to be able to challenge First Nations uh, on ownership of the land, the very concept which should be foreign to us, that's not what we're fighting for. We're fighting for our place on the land to coexist, you know, in our place on the land. But it wasn't ever about who owned it. And now the, to, to bring this up, I don't know, it really speaks to the fact that this organization is about ownership. It's about government representation, government dollars, and a very colonial mindset about how one governs and structures the Métis people. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and uh, I, you know, going from what he said and the, the kind of the, to me, the oddness of all of his comments to, like you said, how you would even stand in the same area as, as, a, as another Indigenous leader and say these things to that person with absolutely no respect or no regard at all for history, for, you know, their people, anything like that. It, it's just it just it screams colonialism. Like you're just being another colonial entity, trying to exert control over a place that isn't that that you were not the first ones here. Um, and it, so it's very disappointing. Um, and I want to kind of segue that into something else that I found rather disturbing that perhaps I never never really thought of before. I mean, uh, you know. I think with a lot of these, like we'll take Chartrand, for example, he represents these big 400,000 people and he's a big shot leader. Um, and so they like to rally on and on about what, how all these Eastern Métis want all the benefits of being Métis, which I don't, I still don't know what those are, but okay. Um, but, you know, one of, the, one of the things I think we forget to talk about in a conversation a lot is the downsides of being ignored and having your indigenous identity ignored. And we had a guest on named uh, Joanne Brissett. Uh, I think it was like ooh, episode three or something like that, if you want to go back that far. Um, and she actually posted something on Facebook that made me think about these things. And, you know, it, it was an article about, uh, you know, Métis children and, indi- you know, non-status children being taken by the government and, put into old convents and going missing and, and going murdered and getting murdered and how, you know, those statistics are not included in the MMIW numbers or, you know, the child apprehension numbers because 
because they're denied their Métis identity, well, they're not indigenous. So they're just kids. Or they're just women. They're just girls. They're just boys. Uh, and I and I thought that was an interesting thing to to kind of maybe think about the downsides of what denying Eastern Métis does for Métis people in in the Eastern provinces. Well, it's something that I think you know you and I have talked privately about is the the real harm that's being done by this identity politics issue. And how it's really, um, because it dominates so much of the conversation, is really sidelining some very important issues that Métis people should be talking about in a greater scope. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, this, you know, StatsCan uh, report showing, you know, Métis people and the big blow-up there was about Métis identity. And that got a lot of press coverage. What didn't get a lot of press coverage was the fact that uh, 38% of all Métis people are under the age of 24. Yeah, and that that should be a startling number, if you know how um, demographics work in a population. Having thirty eight percent under the age of twenty four is a staggering number, and uh, given the fact that we have so much trauma that is continuing with uh, kids in care and uh, foster homes and these kinds of things that are going going on in our communities, you know, it should be a startling wake up call that we have real issues that we have to deal with in our communities and this whole business of identity politics is really a sideline issue. Well, it is. And, and I think the, what's, what's really saddening about it all is that we're people like Chartrand uh, and the whole cartel. And then there's the gr- little group of academics and their, you know, desire to, to propel this forward so they can get a paycheck and the cartel people all do this so they can get a paycheck. And, and we've talked about this before, the, the real beneficiary of this whole identity issue is the Canadian government. And right now they're benefiting from it, and they have been ever since it came to be. Uh, and the benefit is, is they don't have to enact anything special or do anything out of the ordinary to deal with Eastern Métis. Because, hey, they don't exist, so that means all those kids going into care... They're not even indigenous. We're not even going to worry about it. And so it really frees up the Canadian government to do whatever they want. And, you know, I, I would have thought we learned our lesson from the past of residential schools and 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000 scoops, and we're continuing on these scoop processes. I mean, when does it end? When are we going to focus on what's important, which is people's lives that are being dramatically affected by this this pathetic little identity fight that when you go back to Riel and, and those kinds of guys didn't exist. Absolutely. This is I, the whole thing that bothers me about identity politics is that every elder out there that I've talked to um, is against it. Harry Daniels spoke against it. This has been a 35 year issue since the uh, MNC came to power. And this whole organization came to power. Every real Métis elder has been against it. Anybody who spends any time uh, with people in community knows what the truth about Métis identity is all about. But because these paid lapdocs from the government hog so much of the media attention, you know, we have huge issues facing our youth. We have huge issues facing our uh, rural Métis people when it comes to housing. 
and adequate programs and services to maintain the basic needs of life and drinking water and food and shelter. And we're talking about who's Métis and who's not. You know, I'd like to see the strength of those 400,000 Métis people come together so we can actually do something meaningful for our people other than run around chasing our tail to decide who's Métis and who's not. Absolutely. You know, and, and you know, I, I know that the government, when they give out money, that's for specific reasons, but like these guys get a lot of money and, you know, what, what are they really doing with it? What are they, who, how much benefit are they really getting for their people? Where's their court battles? Where's their fighting? And uh, I, I just don't see it happening. I don't, I don't see the, the benefit of all these millions of dollars being poured into these corporations. And we still have missing and murdered Métis women and girls, boys, uh, men. We still have our Métis kids going into care. We still have, you know, kids getting Métis kids getting stolen from families. And we, like you said, we have rampant poverty in in some communities, communities that actually have Métis like cartel representation at the local level, who live in those communities, and still years and years and years go by and nothing's happening what kind of an organization does that i mean you know uh we had the episode about conklin well they have poverty they have a local and have had for years a local metis nation of alberta representative so what fight has the metis nation done to take the government of alberta to court to a tribunal to any type of judiciary or decision-making process to get these people some adequate housing to get some expansion space for the land to to do any of that what have they done um and and that's what i always i'm starting to really get frustrated with with this is that they're not fighting for their people i mean from what i understand the metis nation of alberta wouldn't even be in conklin and have would have nothing to do with them if it wasn't for the fact that there was very lucrative deals made with uh, um, energy industry. So again, we're back to you know pipelines and, and energy industry and and dollars. So just just follow follow where their priorities are, and all you'll see is a money trail, not people's rights. I mean, Harry Daniels fought for our rights, and the and Métis National Council and the cartel fought against him every step of the way until it was very clear <laughs> there was no other way to defeat him. So they jumped on board at the last minute and claimed victory in that case. But, I mean, they didn't like him and they didn't want him his case to go to win. It's just hypocrisy. Well, well it is. Yeah, and that's, I think, the real point that we have to get across is that to have an MA card is to support, support hypocrisy, is to support lapdogs, it's support, you know, people in big offices getting big checks while other people live in shanties with no running water and no plumbing. And it's to support kids in care, it's to support more kids getting scooped up. That's what supporting these organizations with your membership card does. And, you know, it's very frustrating that, uh, you know, for Métis people who say that they own themselves, that we can't pool our resources to solve some of these problems ourselves, that we all seem very complacent to sit back and blame the government while our own people live in abject poverty and we have our own kids getting scooped up in care because we just want to point the finger or look at some paid lackey by the government 
who wears a nice beaded hat or vest to figure that out for us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if a... we have the strength of, I mean, if we have a leader that speaks for 400,000 Métis people, well, holy by God, why do we got people living in poverty? Why do we got kids getting scooped? Exactly. And why, why is, uh, if, if there was four, if there was one person that spoke for 400,000 people, do you honestly think the federal government would ignore that? That's a lot of votes. And politicians live by votes. And, like, it's it's a ridiculous... Like, and it, oh, it's just frustrating. I mean, it goes back to that you represent them, but you don't fight for them. You don't do anything for them. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, follow the money. Who's getting paid and who's not. Um, well, and I think that's why this the whole identity politics issue continues to, to take uh, such a mainstream in the media and with the vocabulary by these leaders because it doesn't matter whether you have a university job or you're, you know, ahead of one of these organizations, you know, this makes good media. It makes good politics. It uh, gets you publicity. It gets you press and ultimately we'll get you that next book deal. We'll help you get that tenure at the next university and the next, next lecturing tour, you know, and helping you to ensure that, uh, you know, you get that next paycheck from your local provincial or federal government. And I think that's what this was really all about. And I think it's high time that Métis people themselves took ownership of themselves back and we did something about it. Absolutely. Viva la revolution. <laughs> no, I, uh, I agree. It's time we need to, we need to stand up and say enough's enough. Uh, we have people that, that need help. We have people that need, you know, not even need necessarily need a lot of help, but need um, somebody to, to listen to them. We need, we have people that, need somebody that's going to get in the ring and actually put on a fight for them and uh, not stand in the corner and watch. And and that's the real real issue here is is we need we have people that need somebody that's going to fight for them. And that and is I, Yeah, absolutely. And I think the challenge is we don't need the government to do it for us. You know, if if we put if there was 400,000 dedicated Métis people who said that they've had enough of the status quo, they've had enough of poverty, they've had enough of kids in care. You know, and you were willing to put the, you know, one Starbucks coffee latte together a week. You know, if we pooled 400,000 people, well, I tell you what, we could do a lot. Absolutely. I mean, 400,000 people at 10 bucks a month would be a, you know what, we, we could own a lot of land and we could do a lot of things with that. So, um, but, but we could, we could do it all ourselves. Um, and that's the reality is we, we have to take the power back from these guys like you know, David Chartrand and all the leaders of the cartel. They, they are only there to represent you, but, you know, we have the power. It, the nation is not a bunch of uh, nonprofit corporations. And that's something else that I heard during the whole Métis uh, flag raising thing. Lots and lots and lots about the Métis nation as a corporation. And... People need to realize the Métis Nation exists. Is if that you know, if you want to claim a Métis Nation, then a nation is of people. It is not a corporation, I mean, and it is certainly not a, a provincially registered nonprofit corporation. <laughs> um, and, but I think that's important. It's an important note, note that you make there is that a that a nation isn't even its government. The government yeah. represents the people. Yes. You know, and I think that's important to know that even if these people who are claiming to be leaders, that they may be that, but it's the Métis people that make the nation. 
Yeah. And I think that's where we need to find that strength again, because too long have we deferred to these people to try to find funding or try to do good things while we struggle. I mean, let's face it, while we struggle to pay our own bills. Yeah. But if being Métis means so much, if that identity is of such value, then we, the people of the Métis nation, are going to have to take that nation back and we're going to have to make something of it again to be proud of because I tell you what, when you look around at what's going on in these organizations, there's not a lot to be proud of. There really isn't. I, I don't know if you, if uh, you know, certain leaders in these groups have been there for 20 years and what has really changed in those 20 years? What, what have we really seen as, as huge benefits for Métis people? Even, even if you just take their own membership and say, okay, what is the huge benefits that you guys have reaped because of these strong, strong leaders you have, I don't know if a lot of people would have much to say. Um, and I guess, you know, to close this out, I, I did meet a fellow at the Métis uh, events, and he's been a member of the Métis Nation since he was, you know, 18 years old. And he's a Red River Métis, and he is he doesn't like the way the, the, these organ, the M&A is run. He doesn't like the people that are involved. He thinks the whole thing is is just absolutely just a sickness, and he's he's kind of given up now because he's been fighting. He said he's he was telling me he's been fighting it for twenty years, trying to get these people to see what's right and do what's right, and it just doesn't matter. And that's coming from a person who's a card carrying member of their own organization, and he's telling me you know because he speaks up, he doesn't get invited to any events. He doesn't get informed of anything that's going on within the nation. Um, and he's not, he's not really welcome at anything. If he does show up to the annual general meeting they have, he's not really welcome there. And it's made very clear. And this is an elder within their community. Um, like, I mean, this guy must've been at least 70 years old and he's shunned because he dares to speak out against the management of the corporation. And I, I, I think that is the epitome of what these court, what these organizations are. And, <laughs> and it just, you know, it, it adds up. It adds up to our own shame as Métis people that we let um, academics, we let bureaucrats uh, sideline our elders and they silence our, you know, uh, the wisest among us. They silence those voices. Uh, all for profit and all for publicity. You know, you listen to the Tony Bell courts and the Harry Daniels of our time who spoke about what it meant to be Métis and the passion that they spoke and speak with it about that identity and what it means to them. It is shameful that we let the Chartrans and Métis Nation organizations run amok with our identity and run amok with what's going on with poverty and children in homelessness and in scoop this is our responsibility to make it right as the people of this nation and i'd like to see the strength of the metis people who own themselves find that fire again and find that fight again because we got to do something to pool together to solve this problem and if we're going to wait for some magic handout from the government boy we're going to be waiting a long time absolutely and uh, i can't think of a better way to end the show on than on that note um <laughs> we always seem to be able to talk a lot about this stuff. I don't know. It's amazing. 
Well, it's such a pressing issue, though. I think, I, you know, if we could get people out there to places like Conklin, we can get them out to rural communities where you see these people living in poverty, and we could take you down to the east where there's, you know, Métis identity is so marginalized and kids are put in care, and you watch the tragedy firsthand of what that does to a home and to a family. Um, you know, I don't know how to make that real for people so that they they realize the necessity and the, the absolute uh, you know, end that we are at here to, you know, we can't let this continue. You know, I don't know what to do for people to inspire them to, that this is a real, real panic situation. It is because, uh, you know, a few more years of, of sitting back and doing nothing and just letting, letting these guys get paid a huge amount of money and do whatever they want. And what kind of nation are we going to have for, you know, three generations from now? And it's going to be very restricted, very small, and and honestly, a very ex- self-extincting Métis nation. Uh, if we continue well, to let them d- take the numbers of Métis people and reduce them and reduce them and reduce them and redefine and redefine and redefine, it gets to the point where you have nothing left. Well, not only do you have nothing left, when you have 38% of your population under the age of 24, and you have... You know, abject poverty, you have kids in care, you have a scoop going on across the country of all of our children breaking up our homes. What is going to be left of our nation in 20 years? Exactly. Where will we be? What will there be to be proud of? You know, what are these kids going to grow up and engage in and say, I'm proud to be Métis? Well, what is there to be proud of? Yeah, exactly. I mean, those kids in care right now and, and things like that, those are the kid. that's the future of our nation. And if... These supposed leaders aren't going to stand up and fight for them. Well, then what hope do we have? I mean, the youth is the future. There's just, there's no other way about it. So you can, you know, you can buy your own motorhome and you can drive around and be all smiles for the media. But the, the, the reality is, is our future generations are suffering. And, and what are you doing about it? You're supposedly the leader of 400,000 Métis. I think it's about time. They started acting like leaders. That's right. I, I couldn't agree more with you. With with four hundred thousand Métis people, you think we would be able to figure out how to engage, you know, over a hundred thousand youth, Métis youth across this land. I don't know how. If we have elders who are checking out because they're so fed up with the the crap that goes on, what is going to want to make young people get involved in this mess at all? Exactly. You're, they're good. Why, why would you want to claim Métis identity at all if it means marginalization by your leadership, a membership review of your, you know, your identity 10 years from now and now you're out? You know, what, why in the world would you want that heartache? Well, exactly. And, it, you know, more and more people are struggling to make ends meet. They have families to feed. They don't have time to be dealing with a lot of this crap. And... That's the reality today, and it's not going to stop. It's going to continue that way. And it, it's just, it's a self-defeating attitude, and it's these are self-defeating leaders. These are leaders who are only here for themselves and, and their immediate families, and that's it. And if you, you know, if you go to places, to these rural communities, you go to Conklin, and you see how some people live, and then you see how... Other people live, and it just so happens that those other people 
are the ones that speak out, it becomes very clear who's who how you, things work and what what needs to happen for you to get a better house, for you to get better things from these cartel organizations of what they offer. And uh, it's just very sad that this is this is the example of leadership where basically he spits in the face of other indigenous leaders. They show no respect for the land. They show no respect for our First Nations family. And they show no respect for their own members, let alone the Métis from coast to coast to coast. That, to me, is not a leader. Amen to that. Oh, well, I, I feel uh, I feel very relieved now. I have vented. I'm I'm good to go now. I have hit my moment of zen. How about you? Oh, I don't know. Your moment of zen, and then you'll put your phone back on and read some other crap on Twitter, and we want to throw your phone across the room. <laughs> it's like you. It's like you're right here beside me. <laughs> um. <laughs> So I uh, I just want to let everybody in the Calgary area know that uh, who is Métis, there is a uh, Calgary Métis Community Association is put is hosting a potluck, and you can find our our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for Calgary Métis Community Association, um, and you'll see that uh, we have a potluck going on here in the Calgary area. So on December eighth from six to eight. So if you're interested, uh, check that out on Facebook. Uh, or email me at uh, metipodcast at gmail.com and I can get you some all the details for that event. Any... And how can you turn down a Métis potluck? Come on. That's Absolutely. A good time. It's going to be fantastic. We're hoping to do some things for the kids. We're going to try to have a craft table there. We're going to do like a 50-50. We're hoping to get quite as many people as we can out. So if, you, if you're Métis or if you know anybody that's Métis, then let them know to come out and... Uh, any final thoughts, Jason, or anything going on in your neck of the woods you want to let us know about? No, just uh, get your snow tires on. <laughs> I, got, I snowed quite a bit here, so it was. Uh, I broke up my hand to break out my shovel, so good times. All right. Well, on that note, I think for now, that's it. The jig is up. Long live the king. Hey. My late cooking came from Kawaka to express. Real warrior woman probably popping instead. It's poor man's if you wanna talk the language. A hundred clicks north if Virginia's the rest. You still gotta be a chief to wear a headdress. 